0: Well, obviously, we're starting a new series this morning. Um, We're going to be looking at the next five weeks. Um, I know in the email it said the doctrine of Scripture, which is true. It's a little more focused than that. We're really going to be looking at the four characteristics of Scripture. So it's the doctrine of the Word, but we're looking specifically at the four characteristics. Um, And pretty much we're going to be asking the question, what does the Bible... Say about itself. Um, That's what we're going to be looking at. The four characteristics of Scripture are number one, authority; number two, clarity; number three, necessity; and number four, sufficiency. I think this is this is an important um, important doctrine, especially in our day when the Word of God is constantly under attack. There's no end in documentaries, books, editorials, blogs, tweets, and whatever you call TikTok posts um, that attack the authority um, of the Word of God. And I guess I really shouldn't say especially in our day. This is definitely not new. It just, it seems like especially in our day for us, uh... But I don't think it's new. If you think about the uh, first time the Word of God was attacked, when, when, when was that? Anybody remember the first time the Word of God was attacked? In the garden, yeah. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say? And, and I think that refrain that did God actually say, and that's not a genuine question, it's, it's asked pejoratively, did God actually say that? And then Satan takes it even a step further um, later on questioning the goodness of God. Uh, not only does he attack that what Eve had heard was the word of God, but he also questions God's goodness in giving us his word. Um, <clears throat> that question didn't stop there. It's being asked today. Um, it's being asked by people who want to undermine the authority of the Word of God, undermine its teachings. Unfortunately, um, those, some of the four characteristics of God's Word are under attack even in the church So we're going to look at these four characteristics, uh, and we're, one of the things we're going to see as we move through this is that, and we're going to spend the, a lot of time on the authority of the Word of God, but one of the things we're going to see is that these four characteristics are woven together um, really in such a way that if you remove one strand, you, you kind of uh, unravel the whole thing, and that's especially true with the authority of God's Word. So, we're going to spend a lot of time on the authority of God's Word. Okay, well, let's get going. Um, the authority of Scripture, well, let me pray and then we'll get going. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for um, Your providential uh, control and Your providential care uh, in, in giving us Your Word and giving us a reliable uh, source of Your revelation Father, we desperately need your revelation, Lord. we need you to um, reveal yourself to us, uh, Lord, on our own, left to our own devices. we are helpless, uh, we are incapable of, of of finding you without you you intervening and helping us do that. Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity as we think through these issues Lord I pray that Uh, that your word would be seen as authoritative, as sufficient uh, for all of life, for all that we need it to be. And uh, Father, I pray that you would bless this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's start with a definition uh, of the authority of Scripture. By the way, um, a little side note, I'm uh, using sort of as a framework for this series, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. So uh, my outline is roughly uh, taken from his book. Um, There are some other sources thrown in, but pretty much I want to give uh, acknowledgement to the fact that I'm depending heavily on Wayne Grudem in this. So the definition, the authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. And what we're going to do as we move through this week and next week at least is we're going to take that definition and we're going to look at the parts of that definition. Today we're going to look specifically at the first phrase that the authority of Scripture means, that all of the words in Scripture are God's words. And what does the Bible say about itself Uh, regarding the fact that this book that we have, the Holy Bible, the Scriptures, is in fact the Word of God. So that these are the words that God spoke when He revealed Himself. And that the last half of this we'll look at next week, that to disbelieve or disobey any of this is to disbelieve or disobey God. In other words, what we're saying is that what we have here is... Uh, the Word of God. It is as though God walked up and told us everything in this book, and that's pretty much what we're saying when we talk about the authority of Scripture. So, all the words in Scripture are God's words. Uh, Again, the most important question that we can ask is, does Scripture itself portray it? Does Scripture portray itself as God's Word? And we're going to When we get through with class today, we'll see that the Bible does in fact claim to be God's Word. We're going to start in the Old Testament. Uh, We see that uh, in the Old Testament, uh, at least as a starting point, that when God spoke through the prophets, God is speaking directly. Um, and you see that as you move through Scripture, anytime time the prophets speak, they would normally start what they were going to say, the words they were given by God with, thus says the Lord. So when a prophet spoke, he was a messenger on behalf of God. And you can think of it in terms of like a king. If a king were going to send a message to, I don't know, say another king or someone else, they would send a messenger. And they would give this messenger a message To bring to this other king. And when they did that, the messenger would go, and the words that the messenger would use were the words that the king told them to use. And the words that the messenger used, even though the words themselves coming from this messenger uh, wouldn't have the authority in and of the messenger himself, but because they were words from the king carried the same authority, And power as the words of the, if the king were there at that moment speaking them. And so when the prophets spoke, they said, thus saith the Lord. And in doing that, they were saying, I am a messenger of the Lord. Let's let's look at this. And we're going to look at a lot of passages today. Um, Not all of them. I think I've given you a lot of the key uh, passages so you don't have to write them down. And I'm going to give you a lot more just as an example Uh, In Numbers 23, uh, verse 38, Balaam is prophesying to Balak, and he says, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? In other words, I, I don't have the authority to say anything to you on my own. The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. And again, this is, what, this is the role that prophets played in the Old Testament. They recognized that they were speaking the very words of God. Uh, Balaam says, I don't have anything to say to you on my own. I'm going to speak to you what God told me to say. Uh, the phrase, thus saith the Lord, is used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Uh, and even in this passage, he doesn't say, thus saith the Lord... Uh, He doesn't use those words exactly, but he does communicate that idea. Uh, And again, he is acting as a messenger on behalf of God when he says that. Um, When a messenger spoke on behalf of a king or a prophet on behalf of God, again, they bring the full weight of the authority and power of of God or that king. Um, This is especially true when we consider the fact that when someone disobeyed the words of a prophet, um, they were disobeying the very words of God. Interesting, Uh, and you don't necessarily have to turn here, but in 1 Samuel chapter 13, you have the incidents where uh, Saul is anointed king, and Samuel gives him specific instructions uh, that he 's to go and wait seven days before he makes a sacrifice, uh, and we find in chapter thirteen that Saul is impatient, and he goes and he sacrifices before Samuel gets there. And when Samuel arrives, uh, it says verse thirteen, chapter thirteen, verse thirteen, and Samuel said to Saul, "You have done foolishly now uh, before I go further. let me point out that uh, Samuel gave him instruction in chapter ten. And he doesn't say, thus says the Lord, but he gives instruction to Saul. Now, Saul has disobeyed Samuel's instructions, and Samuel says to him in in chapter 13, verse 13, that you have done foolishly, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, for which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But notice... Samuel's words to Saul, he equates as the commandment of the Lord. When a prophet spoke, he was speaking the very words of God. And, and, and for someone to disobey those were to disobey directly the commandment of the Lord. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 13. This is a long passage. Um, bear with me. I'm going to read uh, the first 23 verses um, just because I think it illustrates the point very well. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 13. It says, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, now as I read through this, think about the word of the Lord being spoken. Um, o altar, altar, thus says the Lord Behold, a son shall be born in the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice to you the priest of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is a sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord." And the king said to the man of God, entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, if you give me half of your house, I will not go with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in its place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water or return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now, an old prophet, verse 11, lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, "'Which way did he go?' And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, "'Saddle a donkey for me.' So they saddled a donkey for him and mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, "Um, are "'Are you the man of God who came from Judah?' And he said, "'I am.' And then he said to him, "'Come home with me and eat bread.' and he said i may not return with you or go in with you neither will i eat bread nor drink water with you in this place for it was said to me by the word of the lord you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came and he said to him i also am a prophet as you are and an angel spoke to me by the word of the lord saying bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water but he lied to him So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not uh, come to a tomb of your father's. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled his donkey uh, for the prophet whom he had brought back. So here you have this situation where this prophet sent from Judah. He confronts the king and notice that he prophesies that uh, a a son would be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. Uh, This would happen about 300 years after this. So this man's prophesying the word of the Lord. Here's a prophet, he's prophesying, and, the, and he even pr- makes a, to, to verify that he's speaking the word of the Lord, he gives a sign, and that sign happened that very day. He also gives another sign that would happen 300 years later, which did. But now, this man's leaving, and another prophet, prophet shows up. And he tells him he has a word from the Lord. So, the prophet from Judah abandons the original word of the Lord and disobeys. Come to find out, this other prophet was a false prophet and this prophet is judged because he disobeyed the word of the Lord. Um, The cardinal sin of false prophets basically amounts to bringing words that aren't from God. Um... It's a serious sin, but to disobey the word of the Lord is to disobey the words of Scripture, or in this case, the words of the prophet, is to disobey the word of the Lord. For another passage, we're not going to look at this uh, on false prophets. You can look at Ezekiel 13, uh, verses 1 through 7. Um, <clears throat> But it is interesting to me, you have in this situation a true prophet and a false prophet, and the true prophet doesn't obey the Word of God and is punished for it. God, we see also that He commands the prophets to write down the the prophecies that He gives them. Um, This is significant because pretty much at this point, all we're saying is that a lot of the Old Testament is God's Word by virtue of the fact that it's Says, "Thus saith the Lord." So we know when a prophet says, "Thus saith the Lord," that those passages are the word of the Lord, and we have those because God told, instructed these prophets to write down their prophecies. We know Moses was told to write down the words of the Lord, uh, and I'm going to just give you some references. You don't have to write these down, but if you're curious, Exodus seventeen fourteen. Exodus 24, 4, Exodus 34, 27, Numbers 33, 2, Deuteronomy 31, 22, and 24, Moses was told to write down the words of the Lord. The prophets are no exception. God told Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, and Daniel to write everything that the Lord had spoken to them. So now, uh, it's not just the sections of the Old Testament where thus saith the Lord is used, but now we have whole books that God instructed the prophets to write down. Um, you, if you would, open your Bibles to, turn your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 2, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter writes this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So again, we see Peter describing what happened when the prophets spoke on behalf of God. So it wasn't Uh, It wasn't something the men produced themselves. Uh, Going back to Balaam, Balaam said, I have nothing to say to you, only what God tells me to say. But they spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, God's telling them to speak, and then the Holy Spirit, Peter now tells us, is carrying the prophets along so that the words that they're saying are the very words of God. Um, Can anybody, by the way, think of a New Testament author uh, where God tells them to write down something. John, yeah, in Revelation. Um, so, a lot of what we have in the Old Testament, we're not done yet, uh, is the Word of God, and we see that. Um, but does that necessarily mean that all the words of the Old Testament are the Word of God? Well, let's look at some other evidence. Um, The New Testament passages, number two on your outline, or I'm not sure if it's two or A or whatever, uh, or B, I guess it would be, Um, the New Testament passages indicate that all of the Old Testament is God's Word. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. This is perhaps the most classic text on uh, Scripture being breathed out by God or Scripture being the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, And we'll read 17.2, That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So uh, we see here Paul is saying uh, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Um, He doesn't say some of Scripture. He says all of Scripture, and the word for Scripture, graphe, is used About 50 times in the New Testament with specific reference to the entire Old Testament so when Paul says all Scripture he is using a word that was commonly used and we're going to see this as we move further by the Pharisees by Jesus by everyone in in the New Testament era to refer to the entire canon of the Old Testament so Paul is not suggesting here that just parts of the Old Testament are inspired, but all of Scripture is inspired, or literally breathed out by God. And so, uh, when when he says breathed out, clearly what he means by that is that they were spoken by God. So when Paul reads the Old Testament, yes, he is reading the book of Mo, the books of Moses or the books of the prophets. But when Paul reads the Old Testament, he is reading in his mind a book that was written by God. Carrying the weight, the authority, and the power of God. Um, we see also, uh, if you would, turn to Acts chapter 1. So, Paul believed that the entire Old Testament was inspired Acts chapter one, verse sixteen. Again, we're going to see the word scripture it says, uh, uh, "Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas." Again, the point I want to make here is that when Luke wrote the book of Acts, he says, "Brother, the scripture had to be fulfilled." Who spoke this scripture? Who does it say spoke? The Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. And we're, and he's quoting some of the Psalms here. So the Psalms are credited or are, are, are seen as by Luke that they were written by the Holy Spirit. We see thirdly, that Jesus believed that all of the Old Testament was the Word of God. Um, Jesus attributed Old Testament writings to the Holy Spirit in several places. Uh, You can write down Mark 12, 35 through 37. Uh, Jesus says that David, in the Holy Spirit, declared, and then he goes on to say what David declared, and he's quoting Psalm 110. Uh, So again, Jesus sees that the Holy Spirit was speaking through David in the Psalms. Um, and i 'll have you turn here matthew four four when Jesus is tempted we 're going to see again what what are we looking for what is what is what are the New Testament writers and people involved in the New Testament in particular in this case Jesus how do they see the old testament matthew four four again Jesus is being tempted, Satan comes to him and tempts him. And uh, it says, verse 3 the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Uh, verse 4 But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from what? The mouth of God. And when Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy all through this, but he is saying that man does not live by bread alone. He doesn't say he lives by the words of Moses. He says, but he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, again, Matthew nineteen five. turn there. I'm going to have you guys turn to a lot of ver- uh, passages. And this one is, was particularly interesting to me. Um, We're going to start in verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he, being Jesus, answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, what, therefore, God has joined together, let man not separate. Um, Jesus, in his answer, he's referring to what passage? Does anybody know? Genesis uh, 2. And in that passage, it is a narrative. It's, it's not, thus saith the Lord. It is just a narrative of that passage Uh, and and Jesus here quotes it as God said, have you not read what he who created them made them male and female and said. So God said this, and Jesus doesn't feel the need to explain that. Jesus uh, doesn't feel the need to say, uh, by the way, when I say God said, I know it wasn't God. It was the writer of Genesis. It was Moses who's given a narration um, he just quotes it, and, and the Pharisees don't challenge him on that. Now, what does that tell you about what Jesus and the Pharisees believed about even the narrative portions of the Old Testament? That they were the Word of God. Um, take, lastly, on this point, turn open your Bibles or turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 9. It says here, and he said to them, Jesus saying, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Uh, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say if a man... Tells his father or his mother, whoever would have gained from uh, whatever you would have gained from me as Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So notice Jesus is dealing with one passage and he calls it three different things. He says, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. That Moses said, so he's quoting something that Moses said, but he calls it the commandment of God. And then uh, lastly, verse 13, making void the word of God. So same passage, Jesus calls it three different things, the words of Moses, the commandment of God, and the word of God. The Old Testament uh, claims to be the word of God, and we also see that Jesus and the other New Testament writers... Viewed the whole Old Testament, all scripture as being inspired or God breathed as the Word of the Lord, so what about the New Testament let 's look at the New Testament uh, first, the New Testament writers believe that their writings were the words of God and authoritative, uh, and maybe maybe I should say and therefore authoritative uh, again. Again, when you when you see the word Scripture in the New Testament, most often it's referring to the writings in the Old Testament. Uh, so, what we're going to see is a lot of the New Testament uh, writers' uh, writings are called Scripture, along with words, uh, passages from the Old Testament. So now we're seeing a shift. Um, in the New Testament where the New Testament writers are identifying their own writings as Scripture a word that was typically used at least early on for the Old Testament Um, but now we're starting to see that New Testament writings are are called Scripture as well Uh, 2 Peter 3 16 are you guys already there? (laughs) I shouldn't give you all the I shouldn't give you all the passages you get ahead of me uh So here, uh, Peter's writing, and he's describing Paul's writing. <laughs> and he says, as he does, he's talking about Paul. Let me back up a little bit, give some context. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you, have, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count uh, the patience of our Lord as as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other Scripture. So here, Peter identifies all of Paul's letters and then lumps them together with the other Scriptures. Um, In 1 Timothy 5.18 uh Paul quotes Jesus words as found in in Luke 10 uh well let's turn there cuz I think it's helpful to see this uh 1 Timothy 5:18 I was beginning to worry about time but I'll be there in just a second Okay, 1 Timothy 5.18. We'll back up to 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And Dan and Rod says, amen. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Dan says, amen. (laughs) Rod, you're you're teaching too. Uh, For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle uh, an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So here, what Paul is doing is he's using, he's citing Deuteronomy 25.4 and Jesus' words as found in Luke 10.7. So Paul's two sources here are Luke's gospel and Deuteronomy, and he uses them together um, in, in this, um, and as the word of the Lord, as saying the scripture says, and he quotes both from Luke and Deuteronomy. So again, we see uh, in the New Testament that New Testament writings are, are, are also called Scripture, not just the Old Testament. Uh, furthermore, and there is abundant evidence for this, and we're only going to hit the surface, scratch the surface, sorry, uh, for Paul. Paul sees his own writings as the words of God. Um, let me just give you a couple of these. First Corinthians 14:37. Paul says, "If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a commandment of the Lord." So over and over, Paul recognizes that he has the authority of God in what he says or writes. Galatians 1:11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So much so that Paul is saying that if anyone teaches a different gospel in Galatians, let them be anathema. Um, this is the word of God. Um, just one more. First uh, Thessalonians two thirteen. Paul writes, and we also thank God constantly for this: that when you received the word of God, which you had heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as, that, but as what it is, what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Clearly, Paul sees his message, his writings, as God's word. Uh, It's not just Paul, though. Um, All of the New Testament writers identify their writings as Scripture. Peter exhorts his readers in 2 Peter 3, 2, saying to remember the predictions of the holy prophets, the Old Testament, and the commandments of the Lord, and uh, and the commandment of the Lord, and, uh, let me back up, remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord, our Savior, through your apostles. So, all of the apostles are, are speaking the very words of God. Um, and this is sort of implied uh, in, in, a, in a couple of places where Jesus is teaching in John chapter 14, 26 and 16, 13. Uh, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would bring to the disciples remembrance and guide them into all truth. And the idea there is that the Holy Spirit is actively engaged in making sure that the apostles and the disciples, of uh, specifically the apostles, were led into all truth, and so that when they wrote, they were writing the very words of God. Um, let me uh, do one objection, a common objection to this, uh, and then before we close, I think I have time. Um, uh, Grudem points out this objection, and it's one I've I've heard uh, on at least a couple of occasions uh, when when people suggest that this is the word of God, and someone will say, "Well, um, uh, doesn't Paul say uh, in First Corinthians seven that um, I, not the Lord, give you this?" and and uh, so is Paul saying there? that I'm speaking authoritatively here when I'm speaking of the commandment of the Lord, but over here I'm just giving you some friendly advice, and this is not the word of the Lord. Well, let's look at that, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, because I think we can easily clear this up. So, again, uh, just to point out the uh, objection, um, in verse 10, uh, Paul writes, chapter 7, verse 10, he says, To the married I, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Uh, and then he goes on to say um, in verse 12, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. Again, um, as some might suggest, Paul's not given, not speaking authoritatively here. What do we do with this? Well, I think really the key to this, um, as Grudem points out, Grudem says, a proper understanding of this passage is gained from verses 25 and 40. Uh, and again, that's why we, we make uh, at this church such a big deal of context. And we say context is king. Why? Because you can make pretty much any verse mean anything if you're just looking at that verse. Um, You have to, uh, and we're going to get into this a little bit, uh, when we say that God's word is authoritative, what we mean by that is what God said. Um, And to understand what God said, we have to understand the context of what is being said. So, verse 25 now concerning the betrothed, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And then he goes on to give his uh, his, uh, his uh, judgment, as he calls it uh, in verse 40. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. I think that uh, I too have the Spirit of God. What is Paul saying here? He's not suggesting that uh, he's authoritative when he's speaking in one spot and not authoritative in the other. Simply what he's saying when he says in verse 10, uh, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. What he's saying is we have specific teaching from Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, and Jesus says this. Now, there's an issue that Jesus didn't speak to directly in his, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, and Paul's going to speak to that, and he's not suggesting that it's not authoritative. Uh, to the contrary, verse 25, he says that I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What he's saying is, let me tell you what Jesus said in one instance. Now, let me tell you what I say, and I'm speaking with authority. Um, that 's the distinction there it 's not as though i 'm I'm, I'm not speaking with authority here, but I am here. Both places, Paul is being authoritative. He is speaking the Word of God. In one instance he 's given you a direct teaching that Jesus taught while he was on the earth, and the other he 's speaking uh, and to a point that jesus didn 't discuss. Uh, so God has spoken. Uh, God has given us His Word. All of the words of Scripture, all of the words of the Bible are God's words. So, I want to ask one question. Um, How does this... Well, let me ask it a different way. What are the implications of this? What are the implications of the fact that uh, the Bible you're holding in your lap, I presume, is... uh, Assuming it's the Bible... uh, is the Word of God, God speaking, um, what are the implications of that? Because I, I what I don't want this to be is just uh, a Sunday school cl- class where we just talk about doctrine. I want, us, I want it to impact us. Um, I want it to impact me. So what are the implications of this? Yes, Ken. We're accountable. Yeah. Yeah, and we're gonna we're definitely gonna get there next week for sure. That we're accountable to disobey. This is to disobey God. Yes. Yeah, for sure we're without excuse. Yes, ma'am. Amen. We should love it. We should read it. Uh, if 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 God were sitting here, and He is here. But if he were physically sitting here this morning, we would all be on our knees listening to every word that he spoke. Yeah, I saw another hand. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, we, we must respond to it. Um, there's no, okay, I heard this. We have to do something with it. There has to be a response. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. That's a great. That's a great point. Uh, uh, God speaks so that He might be known, and God gives us His revelation so that we can know Him, and know salvation, and have that relationship. Yeah, good. You guys had more coffee than I did this morning. Yes, Ken. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so true, uh, and you can kind of see how all of the doctrines or teachings of Scripture come together, right? Because you can't look at one without getting on, you know, the doctrine of man or the teachings that the Bible teaches about man, and the fact that we need revelation. Yeah, and we're gonna we are gonna get there. That's one of the characteristics. Yes, sir. Yeah, Yeah, and I think, uh, if I could just add to that, I think that's right, perfect. Uh, When Satan in 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 Genesis questioned, did God actually say? And then he questions God's goodness. Well, God really said that because he knew that you would be like God. God's withholding something good from you is essentially what he's saying, right? So, don't trust that. God doesn't want you to experience life. And we know that's not true. God wants us to experience life to its fullest. And, and we have to change the way we see the Bible. This, these aren't restrictions. These are freedoms. This is how we really live life. This is how we truly experience joy and peace and, and righteousness. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm, yeah, 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 mm-hmm, that's right, yeah, yep, yes, sir. hmm yes, every, every word, every word in this book is authoritative, um, yeah, good, good point. Yes, sir, last one and then we're gonna looking at how Yeah, yeah, there is a lot of uh, when we when we recognize that this is the words of the Word of God, um, and we live accordingly, um, and and the Bible's filled with this. Yeah, it frees us from living in fear. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let me just close. I wanted to read. Uh, by the way, uh, if I could be so bold as to give you guys homework, um, read Psalm one nineteen this week. It's all about the Word of God. Uh, let me just read a couple of verses from that, and I'll close with this. Um, yeah, I, well, one, one other side note before I, I read this, uh, I had in my notes here, that when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 3.16, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Um, if you think about the occasion that Paul's writing. He's writing to Timothy, his young protege, that he just sort of, not just, but he left in, in leadership. Timothy was more of a, a timid person, and he was kind of thrust into this leadership position. And uh, so, when Paul writes that, I think he's writing it to assure Timothy, look, you can trust this, Timothy. In fact, the whole thing is about the Word of God. You preach this, this is what you need to be preaching. Um, and a lot of that we'll, we'll kind of look at as we move through this. Uh, because if this is what it says it is, this is, to your point, this is what we need. Um, but let me close with this. Psalm nineteen nine. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of my, uh, I, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and will not forget your word. Uh, God has given us His Word, certainly as a warning, but also as a comfort, as an encouragement. And, um, and, and let us, uh, as we move into this next week, let us take seriously the Word of God. Let me pray. Father, we do thank You that You were gracious uh, to us in giving us Your Word. And uh, Lord, we ask Your forgiveness for not being as diligent as we should and in studying and and meditating and delighting in your word lord we pray that we would uh, because you are so good to us um, and lord we thank you for the fact that you've spoken you've made yourself known that we would know you we ask these things in jesus name amen